Father, we come in the name of Jesus, and we ask you to wake us up, Lord, into the joy of worship, into the joy of your word. Even as we have talked about getting back to the essentials of this particular season, we ask that anything that's extraneous or hanging on us now of any any sort and of any origin would be bound away, fall away, and utterly consumed. We turn our hearts toward you. Speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my very favorite plays by my wonderful husband, Rich, is his Christmas play called Views of the Manger. It was one of the first that I saw of his, and I always love it, and I'm so delighted that almost every season he gets an opportunity to perform it either in whole or in part. And recently he was able to perform the entire five-act play, if you will, five scenes, five views of the manger at our sister church, Butler Church of the Nazarene in New Jersey. And the last view of the manger that Rich presents in his full-length feature links directly to today's scripture, which is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Rich called the church at Butler up to worship at the manger. But worship is indeed the call that Matthew makes as he records the events of Jesus Christ's birth, as he records not just the birth, but the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection. Matthew is going to be revealing to his readers that Jesus is the king of his people. First, of the people of the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. But always Matthew is going to be pointing to the fact that Jesus is king for anyone beyond even the Jewish people who would have him as their king. For Jesus is king of the world, and anyone who chooses him as king has the honor of being among his people. This truth is foreshadowed by Matthew in the genealogy that he opens the entire gospel with, and it's very clearly seen in the story about the dignitaries rich portrayed who search out the child Jesus. And so looking at Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, it reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, in the Greek it's magi, from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, there are two Bethlehems in the Jewish land. That's why Judea is mentioned here. Jesus is born here. It's about six miles or an hour by camel from Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is so significant in the scriptures. It's a name that means house of bread. And in the history of the Jewish people, we see Ruth and Boaz, Mary there. The genealogy shows us that, that they're in the lineage of Jesus. Ruth wasn't even a Jewish woman. She was a Moabite. She had followed Naomi, her Jewish mother-in-law, from Moab to Israel. Bethlehem was also the place where Jacob's wife Rachel died. 
But most significantly, Bethlehem is the city of David. And for this reason, Jesus is born there because Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, with his pregnant wife, Joseph went to Bethlehem in order to register for the census. People needed to return to their birth town for this particular counting of the people that was ordered. Because of this, Jesus is born in the city of David in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, the Magi who come, they're astrologers. They're considered learned men in their culture or wise men. Sometimes they are magicians. In many cultures, astrology was more than just a kind of a science. It wasn't an astronomy. It was a kind of religion. And so these people most likely were following the stars in order to worship because the stars and their movements and the planets were thought to govern much of what happened in the life of of humans. They became objects of worship. These magi from the east probably came from Babylon or Babylonia. Babylon was about 750 miles or much, much more than an hour's travel by camel from Bethlehem. But they come with a very curious question and they come with a specific purpose. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose in the east, and we have come to worship him. These magi know something about the Hebrew people. They probably learned it, and they have Hebrew scriptures. They probably learned it when the Israelites were exiled into Babylon. The exile was more than 500 years before Jesus was born. And they included people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of these people who were highly placed in the court of Babylon. In fact, Daniel became one of the wise men, not that he ever worshipped the planets. He always worshipped Yahweh. And so these magi, think of it, hundreds of miles away and hundreds of years later, have kept alive the knowledge of the scriptures of the Hebrew people. And so they're able to turn to it when they see this constellation in the sky. There's a lot of debate. What do they see? It it may have been the planets Jupiter and Venus converging and creating a very bright light. But nonetheless, it inspired them to look what is happening on earth that is of importance. And whatever it is, they ended up saying there is a king being born, king of the Jews. And they want to worship him because they have understood from the scriptures that he is worthy of worship. The word of God tells them that he is worthy of worship. And so they discern he's born in the land of the Hebrews in Israel. They naturally went to the major city, Jerusalem. We don't know whether they could still see the star at this point. We just know they went there. They started to inquire about the new king. Herod's spies hear about this. Herod hears about it. And it goes on, Matthew goes on, and he says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. 
and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, because the temple is there, he calls the religious people in. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This was something for Herod to hear. Herod, you see, was both a builder. He built the second temple, the temple from which these religious men issued forth after the first one was destroyed by the Babylonians. But he was more than a builder. He was a destroyer also. He was notably paranoid and he was vicious. He would kill anyone, even his favorite wife and his sons, when he considered them a threat to his power as the ruler. He wasn't that well accepted in the land of Israel because he was only half Jewish. But he reigned over Israel with the favor of the emperors from about 40 years before Jesus was born through the birth of Jesus. He had the emperor's favor for years, but even Augustus acknowledged He said it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. And so the unpopular Herod was concerned when he heard there might be a threat to his power, to his kingdom. And those who feared him, which was all Jerusalem, were also frightened. What would Herod do? And so he asks, what about this Messiah? What about this ruler? Where is he supposed to be born? Well, They cite this prophecy. The original prophecy is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through 5a. And it's different, really, from what Matthew picks up. Matthew picks up sort of an interpretation that the rabbis have given. So you will see that the original prophecy, when you go and look at it after this message, will have more detail. But part of the detail that Micah brings forth is that this ruler will usher in a certain kind of peace. And in fact, we find out that peace that Jesus ushers in is going to be peace with God, which doesn't always mean peace with the world or peace on earth, but peace with God. And so we'll see this is what the Magi come in response to. So basically, the religious people in Jerusalem were telling Herod that there is the widespread expectation of the Messiah would be he would be the ruler who would usher in this period of peace. Herod has a sense the baby born in Bethlehem is trouble for him. And that's strengthened when he hears about this prophecy. He's understanding the prophecy as a direct threat politically. Well, Matthew continues in the text to tell us what Herod is going to do. In verse 7, he says, Then Herod summoned the wise men, the magi, secretly. He'd heard about them. He'd heard the question they were asking. He brought them forward. He had an audience with them. And he asked them, What time did that star appear? And he asks this so that he knows how old is the baby boy. How old might that baby be? And we're going to know that's important because when The Magi don't return to Herod. Herod is going to take a vicious action against the baby boys of Bethlehem. And he's going to murder all baby boys who are age two or younger. He's going to murder them. This isn't a surprise. Herod is vicious. 
but he has not yet done that. Instead, he sends the Magi to Bethlehem and he says, go and search diligently for this child. And when you found him, bring him, me the word because I want to go and worship him. Well, after they listened to the king, the Magi went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose in the east went before them until it rested over the place where the child was. So the star they see again. And when they saw that star, Matthew says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Once again, they're blessed with the sight of the star. And and again, we don't know exactly what they saw, but there's a lot of debate. You can go deep into that if you want. But bottom line, they recognized it was a sign. They were on the right track. They were going to find that king. And by this time, enough time has passed since the birth of the baby boy, Jesus, that the family has moved into a house. For the star has stopped over a house. But the most important thing about this particular passage is the Magi's reaction. They rejoiced. They were filled with joy. Compare this to Herod, who was troubled and caused trouble for everyone else. Going into the house, the Magi saw the child, it says in verse 11, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they went back to Babylon by a different way. So you see, when the Magi find Jesus, they are filled with joy, and their reaction is worship. They probably prostrated themselves, just as you saw Rich do, in the play, down their face before him on the ground, bending low, and they gave him gifts. These were typical ways to worship. Many have said that they were acknowledging who Jesus was with the gifts. Gold, the medal of kings. Jesus is king of his people. Frankincense and myrrh, fragrant kind of natural substances, almost gummy. Frankincense can be linked to the incense used in the temple. Jesus is the high priest for his people. And myrrh was often used, as you know, in preparing the dead for burial. And Jesus, by his perfect life, by the death he didn't deserve, and by the resurrection by God the Father through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Savior of his people. What we see here, though, with the Magi and Jesus is startling. Startling. We see men from a non-Jewish culture who worshipped pagan entities like the stars and the planets and probably even their own emperors. We see men who didn't speak originally the language of Hebrew, We see men who've traveled more than 700 miles, who've kept alive the knowledge of the coming king of the Jews for more than 500 years. We see these are the men who sought out Jesus to worship him. Their reaction to Jesus? Worship. And Herod? Herod was so incredibly evil 
that not only did he kill the baby boys of Bethlehem, but he had ordered that when he died, very prominent citizens of the city should be arrested and killed in order that he could guarantee there would be tears when he died. Herod's reaction was murder. Matthew's depiction of Herod is meant to call to mind the murderous Pharaoh of Moses' days. Like Pharaoh, Herod is jealous of power and fearful of the threat, so he orders the killing of baby boys. Like Moses, Jesus must flee for his life, and Joseph hears from the Lord to take Jesus up and go actually to Egypt and eventually call him forth, fulfilling prophecy. Like Moses, Jesus will deliver his people. But Jesus is so much greater than Moses, for he is God, and he will deliver not only his Hebrew people, but all those who will worship him as king, as high priest, as savior, as God, as Lord. So we have these reactions, the Magi, worship, Herod, murder. Meanwhile, six miles away, an hour away by camel or mule, the priests and scribes who knew the scripture as well, and even knew that the Magi, also wise men, had some idea that the Messiah had been born. These religious men who studied and poured out ritual in the temple, these people who were more or less in the neighborhood, they couldn't be bothered to check out whether this story of the Messiah was true. They were not curious. Their reaction was indifference. This week, I saw a newsletter I get from the Colson Center, and it caught my eye because the author was writing about Epiphany, which we celebrate today. Epiphany, the celebration of when the Magi come to visit Jesus. The Greek word for manifestation, Epiphany. This is the day we celebrate it because the Christian message, the Christian church celebrates the visit of the Magi because it is a time that God's grace for the whole world is manifest in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we call it Epiphany, a realization, an aha moment, a manifestation of God's grace, love, and the inclusiveness he feels for the people of all the world. There was a story in this newsletter about the Union Army General, Lew Wallace. So again, he fought in the Civil War, and he was talking about a train ride he was on in 1876. And on this train ride, there was another colonel from the Army, and this colonel was known as the Great Agnostic. This colonel made a habit and a sport of going around and challenging people of faith to defend the fact of God. And this time he aimed himself at Wallace, and he, he, Wallace, frankly, was fairly indifferent to his own faith. But the conversation got at him, and this is what he said about that conversation. He said, to lift me out of my indifference, one would think only strong affirmations of things regarded holiest would do. In other words, wouldn't just thinking about the goodness of God just confirm things for me. But here, I was moved as never before. And by what? 
by this denial of all human knowledge of God, Christ, heaven, and the hereafter. That's what our hope and our faith is based on. Was the colonel right, is what Wallace thought. And so he wanted to prove him wrong. He went back to a story that he had started to write during the Civil War, actually, because he was so interested in the Magi when he was a little boy. They caught his imagination like nothing else. They took a lasting hold on him. And he began to wonder again about those Magi. Who were they? Where did they come from? Above all, why? What led them to Jerusalem asking everyone they met this odd question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And so he began to write this story, adding more and more and more. And eventually, in 1880, he published the book you know as Ben-Hur, The Tale of the Christ. Many of us know it mainly as the great movie that Charlton Heston was in. He published the story about a fictitious Jewish prince who discovers the need for a savior. That book was a bestseller for years until Gone with the Wind was published. When Wallace died, he considered that he had answered his agnostic friend. Millions of Americans agreed with that. Wallace was indifferent no more. This year, Rich and I are going through this devotional, My Daily Pursuit by A.W. Tozer, and it, it is blessing me. Only one week in already, I'm so blessed by it. A recent journal entry was particularly appropriate for today. From January 5, Tozer writes about the scholar, philosopher, and mathematician from France. His name was Blaise Pascal. Pascal met God in such a powerful way that he wrote about the experience and he sewed the paper on which he wrote that experience into his clothes so that he would never forget those amazing two hours of worship and splendor he had with God. In fact, when he changed out his clothes, he took the paper out and sewed it into his new clothes. This is what he wrote. Fire, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the scholars. And he closed out his writing by saying, quoting from Psalm 119, I will never forget thy word. Amen. Pascal knew what many of you do and what most who follow Jesus do, remembering, knowing the word is essential to worship. The word leads us to worship, and worship is essential to knowing the word, for Jesus is the word. The word and worship demand they require each other. Fire! Last week, Pastor Jim called us to the year of the word as our foundation. A year in which we are to be so wrapped up in the scriptures that we can say, as Pascal did, I will never forget thy word. Amen.
a year in which confidence in God is cemented by his word, a year in which his word yields us into worship. And so the question God has for us today, what is your reaction to Jesus? Does he enrage you like he did Herod? Are you indifferent like the religious of Jerusalem? Or will you worship like the Magi? Let us pray. Holy Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we say, Fire! We want to know your word so well that we are led again and again into worship. We want you to stir in us the desire for your word, the desire to worship he who is the word. For it is true, O Lord, that Jesus came to save all of us, no matter how close we are born of the line of Hebrews or a Moabite, a Magi, whether we have worshipped wrongly in the past, Jesus is king of all those who would have him as king. And Jesus, you also stand by the right hand and sit by the right hand of our Father, making intercession because you are high priest for your people. Pray for us now, we ask. And you are Savior and God. And in that place, we come to you. And we say there are places in our lives where you are not the Lord. There are places in our lives that we have not allowed you to save us from that sin, although you are fully, fully able. For you came to live the perfect life we could not live. You gave your life willingly on the cross to atone for the sin that we cannot atone for. And you were buried and resurrected by the Holy Spirit to prove that everything you said about yourself is true to fulfill the scriptures, and to show us that we do not need to fear death and that we also, by trusting in you as our Lord and our Savior, can overcome sin and its effects in our life. And so we come to you and we say, yes, we need a Savior. Oh, we do. Today we recommit ourselves to you. We haven't felt that fire for a long time, Lord. We haven't even really read the Bible with diligence for a long time, some of us. We've maybe we've been a little bit like the religious, or maybe we've even just been angry with you, like Herod. You threaten us <laughs> after all, don't you? For you're the king, and we want to be king. But wherever it is in our life where we have failed to give you that aspect of us to be king and lord over that part, we ask you now, take it. Take it. We want you to be lord over everything because we would know you and we would worship you. And so make us new. Make us renewed. Give us fire. 
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God of the Magi too. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. The full quote from Psalm 119.16 is, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. And the prayer that Tozer wrote on that day when he talked about Pascal, O God, set my heart on fire from above. Inflame me with an unquenchable fire to guide me all through my journey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think those magi were on fire to come 700 miles, 500 years. Shall we not go forth into fire this year? I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. Because sometimes we need to just say yes to God ourselves. And so lift up your hand if you want to renew your, your passion for Jesus. Lift it up. Because he's going to see that, you see. He sees when we make that gesture of worship to him. And he will know you want all of him, all of his work. You want renewed passion for worship. And so God blesses you. He blesses you. He turns his face toward you. He shines on you. He grants you favor. He looks on you with the fullness of the grace and the love. There is a point in the movie, Ben-Hur, when Ben-Hur comes across Jesus in, in the the look he has when he sees Jesus as Jesus is walking along the Via Rosa unto his death. It's beautiful. That's what Jesus did for us, for you. Receive it. That's the year of the Lord's favor. He turns his face upon you. And he gives you shalom. Amen and amen. If you were moved by today's message, that was the Holy Spirit wooing you to himself. God created the entire universe so that he could be in relationship with us, so that he could be in relationship with you. His son came to the earth, though he was completely without sin, he died the death of a sinner, took all of our sins upon himself, and was resurrected so that we could have eternal life. All we need to do is accept what he did for us. You can find out more at westchesterchapel.org forward slash salvation. But why not pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for me. Thank you that your death atoned for everything that I've done to separate me from you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and Holy Spirit, come into my life and empower me to live for you. Amen. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know about it. Please send an email to info at westchesterchapel.org. Now, our website is under construction right now, so these links may or may not work. But if you go to westchesterchapel.blogspot.com, in the right-hand column, you'll see an article on salvation and a way to get in touch there. If you live in or near Westchester County, we hope you'll join us. Find out when we're meeting at westchesterchapel.org. Again, that website may be under construction, but be patient with us. Also, if you're outside of the area, you can join us on Zoom, and that info will be there as well. But we do encourage you to get plugged into a local body of Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christians. Lord bless you.